0: You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit SojournMontrose.org. ...to open uh, God's Word with you. And so um, if you're a guest, I'll just reiterate the welcome that uh, Reed already gave you. We're glad that you're here. I'd highly encourage you to take any one of those steps uh, into community. We'd love to, to get to know you. And in particular, um, if you do fill out a Connect card, would love to be able to, uh, to place a face with a name. And so please uh, make yourselves known this morning. Um, with all that said, we, we've got a lot to do in, in sort of a short amount of time. And so uh, forgive me for sort of jumping straight to business. But um, Reed mentioned it already. Every year we do a series called Life Together. And it's a series that all of our sojourn congregations do together at the same time time. And, and what we're trying to do in these times ultimately is to uh, discuss or preach or, or think over um, some areas of God's Word uh, that we would want for our, our life together to be marked by. Um, and so this year in particular, we wanted to take a few weeks uh, and ground our life together in God's life together. As we've seen throughout this sermon series, God has uh, eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, all of whom dwell together um, in a relationship that is primarily characterized by love. And it's a love that ultimately is to mark our love for Him and to mark our love for one another as His people. So last week we talked about, or two weeks ago, I'm sorry, we talked about uh, the, this idea that the gospel is trinitarian—that the 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 God that we worship works for us in His fatherness, in His sonness, in His spiritness, right? And we talked last week about how the God wor- that God works in us, right, as His church, as Father, as Son, as Spirit. And today we'll talk about how God works through us for His mission, um, as Father, as Son, as. Spirit. Um, and so we're talking about this idea that the mission of God is, is also Trinitarian as well as the gospel and the church. And so um, I want to start it this way. Um, if I were to ask you right now just for a moment to sort of close your eyes for, for 30 seconds and think about life 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, um, what would you see? My, my guess and this is purely a guess, but my guess is that when we look into our futures, even if it's just for for a brief 15, 20 seconds, um, when we think about the future, we, we, we tend to see things that are good in them, right? Like none of us are like, well, yeah, uh, 20 years, I'm thinking cancer. Uh, I, I'm thinking a, a kid that's like a teenager that's not really doing well and um, ha- has failed out of school and uh, I'm thinking about a, a marital relationship that's less than happy, and, right? I, I don't think any of us are, w- would think that way when we think about our, our future. And I think in some ways, although, although maybe the last couple of years have been a bit more difficult, um, in, in some ways, the same is true when we look at society. When we look into the future, what we, at least what we hope for, or what we imagine, what we envision um, is a place that's better to live than the one we live in now, Right? We're thinking about improvements. we're thinking about ways that life could be better, not only for us but for our for our neighbors. We want to live in a society that's just and good and right and all of those things. And, and I think what's at the the core of that, what's at the core of of that that line of thinking being so common among us is that all of us long for something and it's it's really very simple. It's fleshed out both personally and societally. There's a micro way that it's fleshed out and a a macro as well, and that's that we long for human flourishing. We long to flourish. We want to flourish individually, and we know also that in some ways, in order for us to flourish individually, there also must be common flourishing, right? And I think most of our discontentment, whether it's personally or societally, is when we feel like that flourishing is not growing, it's not being propagated, or it's not moving in a direction in which our flourishing will continue. And I think that at our core, whether we're Christians in the room this morning or not, at our core, we have a hard wiring in us. And it's a hard wiring that longs for a better tomorrow. It longs for a place that's different, that is more described by that word, flourishing. And if you're... If you're not a Christian in the room this morning, let me just tell you this. Um, we, as Christians, believe that that longing inside of us is no accident. That if there's a universal experience among people, then it's probably not there by accident. And we, we as Christians, believe that it comes from what God is doing in the world. We believe that God is active in the world and that what He's doing is satiating that longing in us as believers. And so I want to just ask three simple questions that we're going to try to answer in the short amount of time that we have together this morning. One is this, what is God doing? Two, what What? therefore are we as Christians, we as the church of, of God doing? And then how at sojourn, specifically, right? So knowing that sojourn as Christians, we belong to a much larger body than this, comprised of people all around the world that speak all kinds of different languages and are all different kinds of hues, right? How are we specifically here at Sojourn engaging in what God is doing in the world through his people, the church? 2 Corinthians uh, gives us a good picture into that this morning, and so let's go there. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, and I'm actually just going to jump right in at verse 18. Again, there's so much in this whole chapter that is wonderful and good, but we really Uh, only have a short amount of time. So, verse 18 says this. It says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And so here we have in short form, What God is doing in the world, do we not? What is God doing? Well, he's reconciling the world to himself. What does that mean? What does it mean to reconcile? Well, to reconcile, very simply defined, is to restore a broken relationship. If we want to read it straight out of the dictionary, it is the reestablishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. And so Paul says that God is reconciling, he's reestablishing a broken or interrupted relationship in the world. And what what is that broken relationship? Well, it's it's really fairly simple. There's there's two ways that we feel like relationship has been disordered in the world today. Number 1, obviously there's a there's a vertical relationship that needs to be restored that was broken, right? Between God and man and That, of course, has implications, repercussions that reverberate throughout all of creation and influences ultimately brokenness in relationship among people all over the world. So God is repairing this division. He's repairing this division, ultimately, that has been in the world since Genesis chapter 3, right? Most of us have read Genesis 1 and 2. Maybe even if we're not Christians in the room this morning, we're at least familiar with the story, right? That God, day by day, creates different aspects of creation. He looks at it all. He says, this is good. He says, it's not good, though, that the man's alone, so he creates woman. And there's this sort of blissful life, right, in the garden, And there's only one thing that God asks them not to do. He says, listen, don't, don't take and eat of that specific tree. And of course, like, uh, like any good human, uh, given the opportunity to disobey, um, took that opportunity. And in so doing, we know that it, it was in that moment that the relationship between God and man became fractured, right? It tells us in Genesis 1 and 2 that day by day, like Adam would just walk with God in the garden, like that they would just have chats, you know? But when they made that decision to disobey, we find Adam doing what? He's cowering. God is walking in the garden. He's looking for his friend. He's looking for this relationship that he's been enjoying since he created it out of himself. And Adam is hiding. The relationship is no longer the same. He's hiding. He's ashamed. And we come to know that that brokenness is perpetuated then throughout, throughout all of creation, right? In Genesis chapter 3, God curses and he says, Look, this is what it's going to look like now. This is this brokenness. Now, there's no other option for this brokenness but for it to spread. And yet, in the selfsame curse, he makes a promise. He makes a promise that one day, that one day the brokenness will be repaired, reconciled. And so, the glorious good news for anyone who would have read Genesis but maybe hasn't yet read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is that the brokenness that started there is the brokenness that now God is reconciling in the world. He's reconciling, he's repairing that brokenness of relationship. The brokenness of relationship between God and man, but also the relationship and brokenness between man and man, man and woman, woman and man, between people. And how is he doing that? Well, again, 2 Corinthians makes it so very clear, does he not? He says that it is in Christ, that it is in the work of Jesus on the cross for us that he is reconciling the world to himself, that it is in Christ that our trespasses don't count against us. And that's been the the glorious good news really the past three weeks, is it not? But how did he accomplish that? Well, if we keep reading uh, in verse 20, it says this, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So, so what's Paul saying? He say, this is what God is doing in the world, and so we're imploring you, come be a part of what God is doing in the world. Be reconciled to him. Verse 21, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. He made Jesus to be sin, even though Jesus knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. And so how is that broken relationship repaired? Well, it's healed, it is reconciled, it is restored when Jesus on the cross offers up his perfect life in our stead and cries out to God, it is finished. It's in that moment that reconciliation is accomplished. It is in that moment that that which was necessary to repair this chasm, this relational brokenness between God and man, and man and one another, was finished. The moment that the sinless Son of God became sin is the moment that reconciliation, that reparation, burst forth into a broken world. That's how our relationship with God gets restored, through Jesus' offering on our behalf, through the Father sending His Son to die in our place, having the death of the Son applied to us by the Spirit so that we can become the righteousness of God. And what, what the Bible tells us is that when, when these things happen, when, when, we, when we, in response to the imploring of God's Word, are reconciled to God, something happens in us, right? Like, it's not just a a, a mental ascent. It's not just something that happens up here, but something happens in us, that that salvation, that reconciliation is essentially a, a full body, a full soul, a full mind, a full heart experience, which is why Paul in verse 17 says this, therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, what's odd about this is in the Greek, there is no, there is no, he is a new creation. It just says, if in Christ, new creation. In Christ, new creation. In Christ, new creation. And it's important, it's, be, it's important because when Paul uses the words old and the words new, he's drawing on some, some, some scriptural knowledge that the people listening to him would have had. He's drawing on some, some scriptural knowledge, in particular from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is chapter 43, 65, and 66, and we don't have time to go back and read those, I'd encourage you to do that, but the theme of those chapters is this, that there's an old world. That there's an old world that exists and it is broken by sin that is, that, is, that is filled with suffering and pain and difficulty. But, again, the prophecy of Isaiah, the prophetic word of Isaiah is that, that there's a new one coming. That there's a new creation. That the old world is going away and that God is bringing in new heavens, new earth, new reality, right? And so for Paul... For Paul, time is broken into this age and the age to come. He's understanding it in those terms that there's there's an old creation and there's a new creation that's coming. And what Paul is saying is that right now, when we call upon Jesus, there's an element of new creation that is born in us. Like that what the work that God is going to complete in making the world completely new, totally flourishing, has already begun in the life of the believer. If anyone is in Christ, New creation. New creation is breaking through into the world through the reconciliation of Jesus. That's what God is doing in the world. I love I love that for a couple of reasons. I think we have, let's just admit, we have a tendency to think through things in individual lenses only. And that's not to say that the gospel doesn't have individual implications. It absolutely does. But often we read this verse, in fact, often I've taught this verse, that when it says the old is gone, the new has come, right, if if you believe in Christ as an individual, your old life is gone, you have a new life. God is not angry over your past, you have a clean slate for everything, right, full stop. And while I think that's true, and while I even think that it's true and present in this text, the problem is that that full stop is premature. It's somewhat premature because there's so much more than just that. The story of redemption, the story of reconciliation, what God is doing in the world is absolutely about the Lord reconciling us, but it doesn't stop there. It's about saving us as part of God, taking the world from what it was, shalom, through its brokenness to a restored, renewed shalom. A new peace, complete human flourishing. That's the... We don't really have a good word for that. But the the Hebrew word, shalom, complete human flourishing. So this is what... This is what God is doing in the world. This is what God is doing in the world, in particular, through Jesus. And so, what what are we doing in response to that? Again, 2 Corinthians makes it very clear that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Now, let's be clear about what that means, okay? Let's be very clear. That does not mean that we are the ones doing the reconciling. It is God who reconciles. It is God who, through Christ, is reconciling all of the world to himself. And yet, the way that he purposes to do that is through his people, right? It tells us that he has a ministry of reconciliation, that that's what he is doing in the world. But then he says to his people, now I've given that ministry to you. The ministry of reconciliation is now yours, not the work of reconciliation but the ministering of it. And that's super important because we're going to talk in, in just a few moments, very briefly, about what this means for us practically. Like, what do, we, what do we do as a church in light of God's reconciling work in the world that He's now given to us? It's important for us to remember that God is the one that does the work of reconciling because it means that we can walk into all of the responsibility that comes with being a minister of reconciliation, knowing ultimately that the responsibility for reconciliation actually happening belongs to God still. It's still His work. We just have the privilege of playing our part. But let's go back a little bit. And we didn't even read this verse this morning, but I think it's it's important because it informs what we now do. Chapter 5, uh, verse 11. Paul says this, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We persuade others. Being part of this ministry of reconciliation, being part of seeing this Good gospel news about a God who has loved us through Jesus and who has now sent his spirit into the world to bring human flourishing to be in light of his law and kingdom and glory, right? That as part of all of that, we persuade others. Persuade them of what? Well, persuade them that the way of Jesus is the good, the beautiful life and that through him there is healing to be had, both between God and man, and between one another. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. There's a lot of things I could say about what persuasion should and shouldn't look like, but if you've been here for a while, let me just say it this way. Um, we've been in First Corinthians. You know that we did First Corinthians 13, and it was very clear that we might we might know all of the right things, right? We might have all of the right knowledge. We might... Be able to speak very eloquently, and yet, if there is no love, then it's not persuasive. And so, quite simply, persuasion is not to have extended arguments on Facebook or whatever social media you find yourself on, live journal, the people that laughed, I know you're as old as I am, so that's good, Uh, right? That's not what persuasion looks like. Persuasion, persuasion is to, in love, expound upon the grace and mercy of Jesus, by his word, lived out among a people. When we persuade, so we persuade. Persuasion prioritizes making a difference, not being right, I think is what we could sum it up as. And So that's why we exist, brothers and sisters. That's why this church was, was planted five years ago. It was planted five years ago in the hopes that as God reconciles us to himself and to one another, that we would be persuasive to the neighborhood around us. That's why our parishes exist, right? We share a meal together, even though sometimes we might be coming in saying, you know what, I don't really like that person very much today, in hopes that it would be persuasive, in hopes that as the gospel changes us, so that we love God more and so that we love one another more, that that might be persuasive to those around us. So the first thing we do is we persuade. The second thing we do is we act as ambassadors for God. That that was in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. So we persuade, and we persuade by virtue of our station, right? By virtue of our role, right? Ministers of reconciliation is certainly one way to understand it, but that's a little harder to unpack, isn't it? That's why Paul gives us this language of ambassador. You're an ambassador for Christ. You're a a representative, right? Now, some of you might, like, uh, maybe ambassador, like somebody said, what does an ambassador do? Maybe you wouldn't have an answer for that. So, it's, just, it's, it's very simple, right? They are representatives of one country that live in another country, representing the needs, the interests, the good, right, of the country that they're from. Very simply. Now, why I love that image that Paul gives us is, is for this reason. Again, it makes it very clear. It makes it very clear what our role is. Right, an ambassador has to be fluent in two worlds, right? They have to be fluent in two worlds. They have to be fluent in like, the, the cultures and customs and systems of the country that they live in, right? As they represent their home country. They have to know that. They have to know what's appropriate. They have to know the, the customary salutations, right? They have to know all, all of those things. But at the same time, at the same time, they cannot lose an ounce of their core national identity, their home country's identity, right? Because as they lose their home country identity, as they lose that, to that degree, they become ineffective, right? If you don't know, if you're not aware of, if you're not part of, if you're not engaged with the culture and the needs and the good of your home country you can't think through how to best represent your country while you're abroad, right? So when a a Canadian ambassador is sent to Mexico, they have to become fully versed in Mexican culture without losing any of their Canadian culture. Well, listen, Paul is saying the same thing is true for us. We need to know our culture enough to be able to persuade, to make persuasive arguments, to think on their terms. And at the same time, we can't lose anything of what makes us distinct, of what makes us different, what makes us Christian. That's why so much of Paul's writing is not only about grace, 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 and here's what Jesus has done, and, and so you're free, and you're no longer a slave anymore, and you're a new creation, and all those things. But that's why he also says, but also, you know what, don't go get drunk. Don't sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. You need to behave as though you're part of this new kingdom that you've been engrafted into through Jesus. Paul's making the exact same case here. We are ambassadors now of God's kingdom, and so we must think primarily in terms of what it means to belong to that kingdom while at the same time being so involved, so in the world, that we're able to be persuasive and yet not of it. God is making His appeal through us. And so we must be fully attached to His Word and fully attached to His world. So what does that have to do with the Trinity? Well, I mean, we see the Trinity acting throughout this passage, whether it's readily sort of obvious or not. And in this passage, we see the Father, the true Reconciler, the one who is making right all that is wrong in the world. And we see that Father, right, reconciling the world through the Son, the true ambassador, who was a true citizen of both heaven and of earth, like we have now been made, representing both of them perfectly. And we see Him doing those things by the Spirit, the true persuader, who applies the work of the Son and convinces men and women of the truth of the gospel message. And so ultimately, if that is what God is doing in the world, and if he purposes to do it in that way through us as people, how are we doing that specifically at Sojourn? Well, it's pretty simple. We've been saying this from day one. We want to make disciples. We want to multiply neighborhood parishes, and we want to plant churches. We want to make disciples with the gospel of Jesus, right? We want to we want what Jesus has done on our behalf to inform the way we live every aspect of our lives. And listen, there's blind spots for all of us, aren't there? And not only are there blind spots, but there's moments where we just outright fail at those things. And yet, in some ways, the gospel is magnified by the Lord's forgiveness over us in those moments. We want to make disciples with the gospel of Jesus. We want Jesus' work on our behalf to inform the way we live our lives. And we really believe that as we do that, and as we do that in particular together, like that that's not an, an isolated journey, that's not something we get in our prayer closet and do by ourselves, but that's something that we do together. In fact, it is so integral that we have one another to do it, that if we don't have one another, we likely aren't going to be the kinds of disciples that we could be if we had one another. And so we want to multiply these neighborhood parishes, these these groups of people who are struggling through everything that it means to follow Jesus in the context of everyday life. Doing that together in different parts of our neighborhood, really believing that as we do that, we'll be persuasive. And we'll be persuasive to the degree that we will need to, at some point, expand the ministry of reconciliation beyond this theater, beyond our neighborhood parishes living room, beyond even this neighborhood, but that that would, that that would extend out even not only into other neighborhoods in our city, but other cities in our state, other states in our union, other countries in our world, so that the stated purpose of God, that the whole world would be reconciled to Him, would become true, right? That That this people that Revelation tells us will be comprised of every tongue, tribe, and nation on the planet that that people would be made whole. And so it's very simple. The same thing, you know, we started off that first Sunday saying this is all about Jesus. This is all about God's work in the world through His Son, Jesus. And we're We're only going to accomplish anything if we have the power of Jesus' spirit with us. And so listen, anything that we've experienced to this point that is good and right and just and could be considered, quote unquote, flourishing, is because we've invited. We've invited God to do what he is already doing in the world, in us, and now we're asking him to do it through us. That's the mission. That is what God has called us to do together. And so it's my hope and my prayer that the next five years, much like the last five years, and however many more the Lord might have for us, would be characterized by us being a people who willingly, sacrificially, because we have benefited from the reconciling work of Jesus, would persuade others as His ambassadors. That we would seek evermore to root ourselves in the new creation, God's Word, so that we can effectively persuade and represent Him in this creation. As we wait for the day When God completes the work that he set himself out to do. My hope and my prayer is that we will continue doing whatever it takes to see that be who we are as we engage in the mission of God for the sake of our world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Again, God, grateful to be gathered together as your people. Grateful, Lord, that this morning we get to celebrate five years of you sustaining, empowering, equipping your body to adequately, accurately, gloriously represent you in the world. And we pray, Father, that as we grow more and more in our Christ-likeness, as you make us more and more like Jesus, that we would become more and more persuasive. That as we love you and as we love one another, we would become all the more compelling to the world around us. We have so much left to learn. We have so much more to grow in. And yet in all of it, God, we trust you because it is your work That is happening in us. It is you father. Who loved us. Enough to send your son. It is your son. Who is faithful. Willing. To go on our behalf. To represent us before you. To live in our place. To die in our place. And it is your spirit. Who now lives, dwells among us, giving us all that we need for this day, for the next day, for tomorrow, for whatever it is that you have for us in life. We can walk into it knowing, God, that it is by grace we've been saved through faith, not of works so that none can boast, but that now we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that you prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Help us to do those things, God. We need you for all of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.